and welcome back to the Gospel Fluency Podcast. Here we are in the Clock Tower Centre. John is here. Catherine is here. Uh, and we are... Hi, friends. And we're jumping into Redemption, uh, the first of our four-part um, on uh, the, the different paradigms uh, that we see the redemption of Jesus uh, enter into. Uh, so uh, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what is the closest run-in that you've had with the law. <laughs> uh, not that I've had many. Um, actually, this story comes to mind, and it actually doesn't have to do with the official authorities of our land, but when I was about 11 years old, uh, a friend and I were hanging out in the front of my house, and we had a lot of pebbles out the front of the house, and for some reason, we thought it would be a great idea to pick up the pebbles and throw them at oncoming traffic. <laughs> Uh, and I threw a really good shot and it hit the windscreen of this lady's car and it cracked her windscreen and she immediately slammed the brakes. And my friend and I, we freaked out, we panicked and he ran all the way home um, and I ran all the way to my home, which was right there. And so I hid in my room and the lady rang the doorbell and asked where that child who threw the rock was and my mum pretty promptly dobbed me in and I had to... Um, yeah, apologize and make it right. And so I worked off my debt <laughs> for quite a number of weeks after that. Uh, what about you, Kat? Um, yeah, I have had perhaps a few more run-ins with the law than John has for various reasons. Um, one that I can think of, maybe my first one, uh, was when I was probably 14 or 15, hanging out with some older kids uh, in a park. There may have been some illegal consumption of alcohol going on um, and um, a trusty police car drove past, noticed a bunch of youth hanging out in a dark park at 10pm, figured it was a little bit sus. Mm. Came, came over to work out what we were doing on, uh, what was going on, what we were doing. Um, they were actually really quite gracious. I mean, it probably we weren't really doing much damage or being particularly rowdy. We were just illegally drinking alcohol underage. So they were quite nice. They were quite gracious. They just told us to tip it out and go on our way. Um, I'm assuming they probably breath tested whoever was driving, but that was not me. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't too bad. Right. Well, yeah, I haven't had too many, um, being a bit of a goody two-shoes from an early age. Uh, so it's probably a point of pride for me, actually, having not had many run-ins with the law. Um, however, I, I remember a, a few years ago um, uh, running, uh, getting into my car outside of my house and, and driving through it. It's kind of like a T-junction, but one end of the T is just a dead end street. So it's not really a T junction. It's more just like a turn um, and, and going through it and then um, being pulled over by the police immediately. And I'm like, what did I do? And of course there was a stop sign at the yeah. T section mm. and this particular uh, uh, two uh, police people had been sitting there just waiting for what they knew people were going to do, yeah. which is not come to a full stop. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just was, at one, on one hand, kind of outraged. Because I'm like, this is just not fair. I mean, but on the other hand, going, well, 
technically I did break the law um, and asked them for a warning and they said, sorry, it's a blitz today. And uh, How much did it cost you? It was over $300. Clearly they were trying to make their quota. They clearly were and, well, I helped. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, We are talking about the guilt-innocence worldview or paradigm and this is a way of viewing the world where um, a life of flourishing is a life where you are seen as um, not doing wrong things you are um, innocent um, as a person um, but uh, and failure is to break the law is to come under the judgment of uh, a government or um, or you know whatever system that you happen to find yourself in um, it's a really interesting one. I think it was really uh, a big part of the Western world, particularly in the 20th century, um, and and still obviously is a big part today, although things have perhaps drifted into other areas as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's about doing the right thing yeah. or mm-hmm. doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think about this one? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely I think it's the main one that informs... Western society, or has. I think there's been some recent shifts, Mm. which we can talk about later. But, um, yeah, I think there's some basic assumptions around the idea that there's an authority um, that we need to submit to that tells us whether we're right or wrong, um, which obviously as Christians we're we're in agreement with. We believe God is our authority. Um, uh, And then this authority tells us whether we're innocent or guilty. Um, so this is the uh, law court that you talked about in terms of the city mm. that we're in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think um, based on what you were saying before, Pete, around you know the, the shifts, and you, you mentioned this too, Kate, I think we live in a moment where um, the authority to decide what is right and wrong is shift, has shifted or is shifting uh, where the traditional centres of authority, you know, those bodies that would govern what you should do, how you should conduct yourself, those um, institutions, I suppose, are um, treated with a degree of suspicion, you know, think of um, the attitudes towards corruption in government or within the church, you know, these bodies that would typically govern morality Mm. are now suspect. Uh, And I think there's there's a really significant shift happening in our culture at the moment where that seat of authority is actually becoming the individual. Mm. Mm. Yes, and also um, uh, mob rule, I guess, is the other one. Right, where right. the uh, judgment is is pronounced uh, not just by a law court or a judge, um, but actually by the loudest voices in a society as well, right? Um, where yeah, a group of people on the internet can decide that you're guilty <laughs> about something mm. um, and their voice matters, actually, and has a significant um, amount of uh, impact on your life. Mm. So it's, it's a really interesting thing, um, this guilt-innocence paradigm. Um, and so I mean, guilt is, a, is actually not going anywhere. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we're, we're, despite uh, living in a culture where perhaps many people don't really believe in an, a... A higher court, a divine court, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and yet, guilt is still here. We still deal with it. We still feel guilty all the time. Um, so we need to deal with it. Uh, how do we deal with it? What does the Bible tell us about uh, guilt and innocence? 
Yeah, I think actually the Bible has a lot to say about guilt and innocence um, and helps to explain to us actually why we experience and feel guilt. Um, maybe we'll use the, the overarching framework of this entire podcast series with the creation for promise and redemption to, to give us some shape, right? So at creation, the story of the Bible tells us that there is an objective moral standard in the universe, right? It's God who is perfect and holy and righteous and just who is also the all-powerful creator of all things. And this God makes humans in his image. And therefore, we as humans have this innate sense of what is right and wrong in relation to who he has made us to be. Um, And I think we can see that this is actually true. Like, for the most part, um, humans would probably universally agree that things like um, cheating or lying or betrayal or genocide or pedophilia, like all these things are generally thought to be moral um, evils. But then we get to the fall and actually we see that um, doing what is wrong and also failing to do what is right um, makes us guilty before the perfect and holy God. And when, when this happens, we experience guilt both inwardly and also relationally between ourselves and others and with God. And we see this playing out in the Garden of Eden, right? So Adam and Eve, they disobey God's commands and they rebel against him. They eat the fruit from the tree and they experience guilt in themselves. They know that they've not done what is right, but they've done what is wrong. They know that this brings a consequence and actually God has made that quite clear, that there will be a consequence. And so to try to deal with their guilt, really interestingly, they don't just hide themselves, they try to shift the blame. So Mm. Adam blames Eve for giving him the fruit. Eve blames the serpent who tempted her toward it. And in a subtle way, even suggests that it was God who was at fault. This serpent that you had made, that you had placed here, Mm. tempted us, right? Um, And because God is just and holy and perfect, um, there are consequences for their wrongdoing. They get kicked out of the garden, away from God's presence. And death gets introduced as a reality in God's created order. Adam and Eve eventually die. And so throughout the course of Israel's story, um, there is a thread of promise that runs throughout. Even from that point in the garden where God is pronouncing curse over Adam and Eve and creation, there's a promise, right, that there would be a son of Eve who would crush the serpent's head. And as we continue on in this story, um, God gives his people the law. Uh, through Moses and through their history, this, the law reveals two things. Right? The law, one, shows us that people can never live up to God's perfect moral standard. The law names and points out all the ways in which humans fall short. But two, the law also promises that God will make a way for his people to be forgiven by, the, by transferring guilt onto spotless sacrifices to God. And the innocence of the spotless lamb or the, or the scapegoat, They would bear the weight of sin and its innocence would be counted towards, would be credited to the people making the sacrifices. And the frequency and the gruesomeness of these sacrifices demonstrated that humanity's guilt was so great before God and that our need for redemption was so serious. But that is what it took for us to be able to be in relationship with God. 
and this actual this sacrificial system uh, so beautifully actually foreshadows Jesus. So when Jesus comes onto the scene uh, in John 1, John the Baptist proclaims to everyone there, right? He says, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This is who Jesus is, God's perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb. And because Jesus lived the perfect human life, always doing right, never doing wrong, he was that spotless lamb without blemish or defect. And because he was that, he was worthy to be given in the place of every guilty sinner for all of time. And his gruesome bloody death was the all-sufficient sacrifice on behalf of sinful humanity whose guilt deserves the consequences of death. And the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is able to remove the guilt of sin for all the world, for all time, and to declare all who trust in him innocent, not because they've not ever done wrong, but because he has removed their guilt by paying sin's ultimate consequence and giving them his righteousness. This is how Jesus redeems us from the guilt of sin. And then, because Jesus ascends into heaven, and the Bible tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, for all who trust in him, this means that in the courtroom of heaven, all who have faith in Jesus are eternally declared righteous innocent before the holy and perfect judge. And so now, new life, free from ultimate guilt, belongs to everyone who belongs to Jesus. And God is making for himself a people who are holy and blameless because of Jesus. And our hope, the hope of the Bible, is that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead with perfect justice. But that's a lot about what I think of on this. Uh, what do you both think? Yeah, I mean, that's a great retelling of the biblical story. And we'll do this actually with each of our paradigms, um, seeing the Bible story through this particular lens of um, guilt and innocence in this case. And I think this is, I guess, probably the one that Christians are most familiar with, like the idea that Jesus forgives our sins, um, makes us innocent. I think, at least for Western Christians, this is one of the most common. Um, so I'm really interested in um, where do we recognize this? And particularly given what we've already said, that our culture may have shifted a little bit um, in our understanding of uh, the world and maybe isn't as firmly in guilt and innocence as the framework um, anymore. Like, where do we see this in our lives? In mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I think... Uh, personal confession for me, I, uh, I'm a bit like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and I like the blame shifting. <laughs> I think Brett and I play the blame shifting game quite often actually. Why did you get angry with the kids? Well, I got angry with the kids because you were mean to me about whatever. Well, I was mean to you because you didn't put the dishes away. Well, mm. I didn't put the dishes away because you didn't. And it goes on and on and on. Mm. Yeah. So I think um, I definitely recognise my uh, desire to remove my guilt and put it onto somebody else mm. uh, in mm. playing the blame shifting game. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. How about you, John? I think there's, um, again, maybe observing in my own marriage and family situation, but I think there's this um, desire that we have to atone 
like to make things right or in in the case of like you know you're um running the stop sign you know you've mm. got to pay some sort of a penalty mm. um and so you know trying to appease someone or to to make things right by mm. some sort of payment there to alleviate my sense of guilt mm. um so i think for me it comes up quite a bit in my parenting right like when i've fallen short or when i've not been able to live up to a promise with one of my kids and they're really upset you know and and crying mm. and saying like oh like i'll you can have an ice cream you know mm. just stop crying because you're making me feel really bad mm. um you know and just like working through things that way i think really points mm. yeah yeah to yeah. that sense of guilt that we can experience absolutely yeah yeah i have a tendency in my so i don't do the blame shifting as much um, I, I prefer to um, heap guilt upon myself uh, <laughs> and feel pretty crushed by it. Um, and any time that I you know, try and find myself shifting blame, I feel even more guilty because I've just tried to shift blame. And that's a bad thing too. So just making it, you know, it's just a horrible cycle. Um, so it's this really interesting thing, right, where you can either like, um, and I've talked about before, um, uh, tendency to either over function or under function yeah. when when a problem hits um and you can over function by yeah i've got to pay the penalty i can pay the penance um pay the debt pay the mm. fine or whatever mm. it is and then i'll feel better um well yeah my tendency is to go the opposite probably um and just feel terrible and yeah. wallow and <laughs> um and go woe is me and what my mum would call a pity party you know um, until enough time has passed that it just kind of goes away, <laughs> then, <laughs> yeah. then something else will come. So um, it's uh, yeah, I think how you respond is yeah, really um, a lot to do with personality and mm. and how mm. we approach things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you really wear the guilt, mm. but you don't ever actually really resolve it. Deal with, Deal with that's it. That's right. Yeah. No, no, no. And and I often find myself going, well, no, God forgives me, but. Mm, not sure about other people <laughs> or myself <laughs> um, and so that presents a, a challenge actually on, on how we actually work how I work through it really um, fully and well I guess yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, do we see this like anywhere else in um, our culture and, and the world around us as we you know go on social media like and you know, interact with the world where else do we see this guilt innocence paradigm I think it's interesting that also that societally we are not innocent completely as well. Like we participate in systems that oppress mm. and hurt other people. Mm. Um, and in, in a way, you know, we, we do feel guilty about those things and there is a sense of guilt there. So, you know, depending on what coffee or what chocolate you buy, again, I've, we've spoken about this before, right? But there's this sense of a corporate sort of guilt that we participate in and I think there's a way in which we either can um, insulate ourselves from it by saying oh no that's just there's nothing I can do about that to address that system um, mm -hmm. you know again kind of distancing ourselves kind of shifting the blame there mm -hmm. or saying well you know there's someone who's very obviously at fault and it's this corporation or that corporation and blaming them for yeah that that brokenness and that guilt yeah, I wonder if as well uh, as Christians in the world, in our society, um, the rest of the world sometimes uses a guilt-innocence 
paradigm to judge us or to assess yeah. what we're doing yeah. um, because we we do claim to have absolute moral values which lots of people in society might not claim to have uh, and we fail at them <laughs> quite spectacularly um, in recent <laughs> years we've seen that with the various um, abuse scandals and things like mm, that mm. Um, and so I think you you see that uh, yeah that the that we are guilty mm. actually and mm. um, dealing with that in society is a thing yeah mm. yeah yeah, so um, as Christians, like, what do we do? How do we become gospel fluent? Increasingly so in this area. Uh, one of the classic pushbacks, I guess, about Christianity from lots of people is that it's, you get the free pass, right? Um, you get forgiveness, and so you can just kind of play the get out of jail free card and kind of go on with your life. Is it, is it that simple, or is it yeah? More complex than that. Yes. Yes, it is that simple and it's more complex than that. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, we do uh, have the grace that we uh, that given to us through the death of Jesus. Um, but and in a response to that grace, we seek to live lives that that are modelled on Jesus. Mm. And what he did, which was a life of innocence. Mm. Mm. Um, so th I think there's also this really interesting thing that happens within people with, you know, um, people who have a real sense of like, I'm a victim here. And that being the way they see the world, because if I'm the victim, then I'm not in the wrong. Mm. If, so if something bad has been done to me or is being done to me mm. and... You know, and genuinely, there are people in the world who that is true. Like, there is a lot of evil happening to, against these people. But then, mm. there's also those of us, and sometimes, you know, I can be prone to this, where you know, oh, such and such person is mistreating me, therefore I'm justified. I'm in the right. Um, mm. But I think what what's confronting about Christianity and the cross of Jesus is that. All of us are guilty. Mm. That's kind of the bad news that comes before the good news, right? Is that mm. we're all guilty before God, the ultimate judge. And so we need to um, be able to admit that. And that's hard. Mm. But also being able to do so uh, is deeply transformative to us in the way we see ourselves and then also how we see others mm. and relate to them as well. So as Kat was saying, that's something that's really transformative. Mm. Mm. It's not just... You, you've got to get out of jail free card, therefore go on and mm. keep doing what you're doing and mm. don't feel any guilt because Jesus has forgiven mm. you sort mm. of thing. Yeah. I think when you grasp grace, it actually it changes you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, and I think that, uh, that um, working through guilt and innocence is kind of on two levels as a Christian. So on one, on one hand, you can go, um, there is forgiveness available no matter what you've done. Like we have to say as Christians that the blood mm. of Jesus is enough to cover literally any sin, any wickedness, any evil, yeah. right? Yeah. So on one hand, um, that is available. And yet we know from our story that sin is, um, has, has deep and wide-reaching consequences and that sin brings brokenness. And so 
even though we have forgiveness from God, that doesn't uh, kind of automatically smooth out all the consequences, the, the, the real-world consequences mm. of sin, right? Yeah. But it does give you a new grounding in which to work on those things. So it's not that um, you have to fix your problems as, a, as penance, actually. But um, knowing that you're forgiven by God means that you can um, actually take responsibility um, for yourself, right? Mm. And, and for your wrongdoing. And you can have the freedom um, and the confidence to ask for forgiveness mm. and, to, and uh, to work for restoration and, um, and to, to pay debts, actually, like, and um, uh, pay fines and, and repay people for what you've done. And, um, and you can do that not out of a sense of, uh, if I do this, then I'll be made right. But I have been made right, actually, so I can do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and, and I, won't have to, I won't shift the blame to someone else, and neither will I feel crushed by it either, mm-hmm. right? Because in the end, I know that I'll stand before the, the divine law court and I will be treated as Jesus is, that I will be treated perfectly innocent. Uh, and so knowing that, what confidence then uh, to... Um, in a really healthy and, um, uh, and and joyful way, approach dealing with the the fallout of our of our own um, guilty behaviour. Hmm. I think also um, this is a slight tangent, I suppose, but um, I think also something that comes through in in standing before that divine law court, you are standing before a perfectly just judge not a flawed human being Mm. Um, we know that God's justice is perfect Uh, and it reminds me of Miroslav Wolf's um, exclusion and embrace book he talks a bit about the um, the suffering and the pain of people who have experienced genocide and actually the great comfort that standing before a just judge brings to those victims Uh, and I don't know for a lot of us, that's not um, our reality that we've experienced such deep suffering and pain. So maybe we don't recognise the comfort that a purely just mm. God brings, um, knowing that it's not going to be some corrupt local warlord that does the mm. serving of justice. Mm. It's a perfectly just God that does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really right. Hmm. Um, so just as we finish up, uh, how do we respond to uh, feelings of guilt within us um, on a on a kind of day to day basis? As as you feel that uh, that yeah, what, what what should be some of our initial reactions as Christians as we apply gospel fluency to ourselves? Yeah, I think for me, I think about the costliness of them, uh, the costliness of the guilt uh, and the fact that Jesus has paid that price. So um, the great freedom that I then have Mm. because of Jesus' sacrificial death uh, and that I stand presented um, as innocent before the just judge. Mm. John? I think something that's really helpful for me is actually to ask the question of... uh, um, what do I? What am I feeling guilty about? Because often I'll feel things before I see them for what they are. I'll feel things before um, I'll know exactly 
why I feel that way. Um, and so I think that's a helpful question for me anyway to reflect upon, you know, well, I'm experiencing this feeling because I've failed in some respect. Why? Mm. Mm. And then yeah, to unpack good. it from there with, of course, what Catherine said, right, with that gospel grace in mind. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. I think uh, f- for me, um, uh, being reminded that um, no matter how guilty I might actually feel from something I've done, I'm actually worse than that. <laughs> I'm actually more guilty than I realise. Yeah. My sin goes deeper than I think. Um, and this is not a sense of kind of beating myself up. Oh, woe is me. I'm so bad and terrible. But just a sense of, oh, wow, like God's grace is far bigger and greater and more powerful than I think it needs to be, actually. <laughs> mm. um, it covers more than I think it needs to uh, in my life. And so why, why feel, um, uh, why, why go into self-pity, basically, mm. if that's the reality of what Christ has accomplished? Um, how much more joyful should I be, actually, and, and delighting in my own forgiveness? Mm. Than I actually do, so that's great. Uh, thank you, friends. Uh, we will be back next uh, episode um, and look at honor shame, uh, one which is really significant for all of us. Mm. So we'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye.